Welcome to Thrivers, nonprofit leadership for the next normal. I am your host, Tucker Wanamaker, the CEO of Thrive Impact. Our mission is to solve nonprofit leader burnout and to right the injustices happening against nonprofits. We believe that burnout is the enemy of creating positive change. And we want to connect you with impactful, mission-driven leaders and ideas so that you can learn to thrive as a human being, as a leader, as a person uh, in today's nonprofit landscape. And I am with uh, my co-host, as usual, Sarah Fanslow, our Chief of Impact. Sarah, it is great to be back on the podcast with you after a one-week reprieve. <laughs> you too. Good to be back. <laughs> it's good to be back. Well, and I, I, I'm uh, appreciating our last podcast. And if for those of you who haven't listened uh, to the last one, it was called The Role of Dissent in a Learning Organization. And, you know, we really went through quite a bit, uh, some, uh, some behaviors that reinforce learning. And we went through six different ones that you can do based out of the, the work of Amy Edmondson and also the exchange uh, approach methodology. And, um, and we kind of dove deep into a couple, and one of which was around inviting voices and particularly risk-taking contributions and how do you, uh, how do you bring dissent in and honor that and appreciate that and notice what that might, it might be for your organization. So anyway, I just appreciating that last conversation. Yeah. Uh, it was so rich. So if you haven't listened to that one, go check it out. Uh, cause it actually goes through the six different types of behaviors that you can do that reinforce learning. But we wanted to actually go a little deeper into another one of them because there's this so rich, I mean, Amy's work and the work from exchange and what we've been learning ourselves through this of, of our own journey. Um, there's just so much richness here that, um, you know, I don't know if there's, it's not like you're going to hear it one time and then figure it out, right? Like yeah. it's, this is practice. Yeah. This is ongoing learning and unlearning mm. <laughs> of, of old ways that either our brain are telling her or our bodies are telling us, you know, that yeah. we are learning how to shift into. So yeah, anyway, this requires yeah. serious living into for sure. Yeah. Which is, which is all that we can ask of each other. You know, it's our old joke, fun joke that we have in thrive, which is it's all learning, right? Is it all <laughs> learning? Maybe it's all learning. It's all learning, you know, yeah. like a, a way of, keeping it light because we know how heavy learning feels sometimes uh, because sometimes learning feels awkward. Yeah. Right. It's like if you're, if anybody's ever learned anything new, you're rarely ever going to get it perfect. And even after you've learned it, I mean, I'm, st I've been a facilitator for forever and I'm still learning. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's not something new. I've been doing that. I definitely have my 10,000 hours in facilitation. And yet I still see the areas of like, wow, there's, a, I can really grow there and I can really learn. It just is, it just sometimes hits the space with, with us, right? Mm. That is, feels, um, it can feel clunky or awkward yeah. or, yeah. you know. So today we wanted to really focus in on one of the behaviors. So Again, we're not going to go through all the behaviors today. Uh, that's for that last podcast. So I recommend going back to that, the role of dissent. We actually went through all six of them. But this one in particular today, we would like to hop into the one that was displaying and owning my fallibility. 
displaying and owning my fallibility. And Sarah, like, I just really want to bring your voice in here because um, this is such a big topic. And I even feel like right now I feel it myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, breathe, Tucker, breathe. <laughs> you know, like. But why is this so important? Why is this this behavior such a real and important behavior to learn how to do? Yeah, I mean, I think we could both talk about this one endlessly, which is why we were like, oh, we need to, to really dig in here. Um, but, you know, I mean, ultimately, displaying fallibility tells other people around you that you don't know it all. And if you don't know it all, then maybe they don't, and that's okay. And maybe you can all learn together. So really, I, and I think it's the first, one of the first behaviors Amy listens, and I think it's so important because, um, you know, if we are not humble and not open to, to learning and open to other perspectives, I don't know if the rest matters, right, ultimately in some ways. And so... You know, I think displaying fallibility says to other people, you know what, it's okay to make mistakes and still show up here. And that's at the base of what it takes to learn ultimately. So that's that's why for me, I think it's so important. But but what about you? Yeah, I use the word humble and... Um, I'm trying to think of the word, but there's a space of displaying and owning your own fallibility. That's just displaying. It's, it's like an honesty. It's a, it's a, it's a space of being an in integrity to yourself as a human. Mm. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, It's being in a, I think somebody shared something about humility of it was like being right sized <laughs> of sorts. <laughs> um, and You know, if we think about similar to what we shared last time, you know, and we, we mentioned a lot about Peter Senge and his work around learning organizations and and the, the statement that he's used, um, he used in this video that was in the show notes from last time as well, that he was talking about the prevailing system of management is destroying people because the prevailing system of management is about control and a particular type of control, like consolidating the consolidation of control. And we see this in top down leadership structures. Um, we see this in school with, you know, our teachers, <laughs> that, yeah. he, as he said, there's not a whole lot of difference between the teacher and the student from our, you know, traditional style of, of teaching and learning. Uh, there's not a whole lot of difference between the teacher and the student and the boss and the subordinate. Right. And, you know, that we quickly learned that school was, you know, we already knew how to learn before school, but then we went into school and realized that, oh, school is not as much about learning. It's much more about performance for somebody else's approval. But then as I've, I've as we've kept like going into that space and I even had a, literally a conversation with a, a, a wonderful ED in, in, in DC this morning, talking about this space of perfectionism and that that's been this water we've been swimming in because it's been about performance, which means I need to be perfect or else I'll right. get slapped, I'll get in trouble, I'll get whatever it might be. Versus realizing that that's actually not even reality in the first place. 
Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think also, you know, um, and Amy Edmondson points this out in her research, you know, when we are in difficult or critical conversations, many of us default to going into reactivity. And if you've listened to our podcast before, you know what that is, right? You're going into that safety part of your brain where you're thinking, totally. I've got to protect myself. I'm in danger here, right? It's literally a biological, biologic and physiological response we have to danger. But we're going there in difficult conversations. And in those spaces, our goal is to defend and control. And research shows mm. that if we are willing to be open and wrong, that that's a leading indicator of teams that can navigate change, right? If we are willing to mm. not in conversations where we feel, oh shit, I might be called out on my stuff to control or defend and instead can invite that, you know what, I was wrong, let's learn. That's an environment where teams can change and learn. Yeah. And change and learn into the type of teams that we, I'm guessing, if you're a listener of this podcast, want to be a part of. Great. But I mean, imagine, I'm Tucker, I'm going to ask you, like, to sit in that space of being the leader in that difficult conversation, having to admit that you are wrong. Like, what does that bring up for you? How do we do that? It's literally against our biology to do that. It's literally against, so like... <laughs> What do we do? How do we do it? It's easy to say, hard to do. What does that look like? Well, you know, we've had some scenarios lately. Um, I'll share about mine too, but we've also had some scenarios lately with some nonprofit leaders um, who, who are potentially um, on the backside of realizing their fallibility because they didn't, they weren't like necessarily acknowledging it or even asking around where they can improve, you know, or there's some kind of blinder on. And now, now they're kind of dealing with the back end of that. Mm. And now we're creating some healing, which is good. I mean, you know, I think that's the spaces that we're, we really shine in is creating spaces of healing for teams. Yeah. Because this is trauma for people, right? As you were just talking about, this performance orientation can be really traumatic for all of us. And it goes, sends us into our brainstem and we want to fight, flight or freeze. And, and that's all that sends, you know, that, that's trauma for us. In many the times. body. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. So it's been interesting for me to see the, the back end of that and how we, how do we help leaders, including ourselves, including myself, go into that space ahead of time, like proactively displaying, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, owning that, you know, uh, what is that proactive nature even like this, uh, this uh, ED I talked to today, she's been there for at this organization for actually only about eight months, I think. And at the six month mark, and I don't think I've ever heard of this before, but um, I've heard of it. She did a, a 360 degree leadership assessment mm. at six months of being in the organization. It's crazy. Now I've heard of 360s, obviously, because we've done yeah. them before and um, and we do them. And six months in, I was like, whoa, that was proactive. Yeah. Like where where is she like what proactive learning and what courage it took to do? I mean, she basically, in a sense, by doing a 360. So if you don't know what a 360 degree evaluation or a leadership assessment is, basically it's where you send out a 
anonymous survey to your team, to your board, to typically like close colleagues or people who know you well, who have seen you in your leadership. Um, and you know, you get, depending upon the type, we've done ones through leadership circle, which is one we totally recommend and can help you with that if you ever want to do that. Um, but it's, uh, it's very illuminating <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. And it, and it kind of lets people, I mean, it lets people in the spirit of kindness, uh, and, and support give you feedback in an anonymous way for you to be able to reflect on and notice where you can grow change. And it's not always negative per se, or it's not always learning, learning oriented in terms of like what you need to change. It's also things that have been the best of you, right? It's not, it's not, um, just this like big vat of negative Nellies on, on your, you know, assessment, but, um, but it, it takes a lot of courage to do those. I mean, for sure, they're tough. I mean, yeah. Sarah, you've done one before, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah, I've done a few. How does that feel when you're like you were asking that earlier? Like, what it, what does that feel in your body? You know, uh, when you're like, oh, I got to read like this assessment. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> nauseous. <laughs> in one word, nauseous. Uh, yeah, it's really tough. It's really tough. But I'm curious, like, so what did this executive director like? What was the outcome of it? She got the pieces back and curious what she learned and you know how she was taking that back into the team in support of fallibility if if at all well i think she just did it so she Got was it. still um like well i think no she didn't just do it cause she's been there for eight months we didn't quite go into the details of that because we were mm -hmm. talking about something else i just thought it was really fascinating that she did that at six yeah. months in as an ED. Yeah. I was like, what is the rhythm? If we're talking about displaying and owning my fallibility, there's, there's a like in the moment type of display, you know, and we even have some sentence starters that are like, here's how I've contributed to and or caused this situation, or I don't like how I handled that situation, or I was wrong, literally just, I was wrong, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Um, you know, so there's like the, displaying and owning your fallibility in the moment or just after whatever that moment might have been. There's also this proactive displaying and owning, and that may be the more owning of the fallibility of saying, I know I'm fallible and that's okay. Yeah. How might I get feedback that helps me to learn and grow as a leader, as the type of leader that I ultimately want to be? Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, so for me, part of being able to, I think the proactive displaying of fallibility is so important, but the question is like, what are the spaces that create that? You know, how can we get people to do that proactively so that when the situation feels less safe, they've almost already done it, right? You've already put in a rep or two. So you're like, oh, it's okay. You know, and so yesterday, actually at Thrive Impact, we had what a strategy conversation. We have one each quarter. And we were, um, we talked about kind of what has been the, the best of us, our accomplishments. And then we talked about some of our disappointments. Mm -hmm. And I actually forget what section it was in. It was in disappointments. It was in disappointments. Um, it was, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Was, you're, the, you're the last one to share at the end of disappointments. 
Yeah, and I said, you know, I think I said, y'all are better at this than me, but I'm not, I'm just, we have a core value at Thrive of excellence, which is great. I think we all, it's a really strong shared value, right? It came up a lot yesterday. Yeah. And, you know, I think what I said was like, I have leaned too far into excellence at some points in our work because of fear, you know, um, that we're not going to get it right or we're going to do it wrong or people are not going to like it. And that has pushed me to, you know, dot every I five times and cross every T 15 so that there's no way anyone could say anything other than this is the best thing ever. Right. And, you know, I think I just shared that with the team because it's something I'm still learning into. But what Mm -hmm. was possible about that space was like, it wasn't a space of, you know, it would have been hard for me to say that in a group of people I didn't trust, right, ultimately. (laughs) And so, you know, I think as we talk about proactive fallibility, part of what comes along with it for me are these spaces where folks can be vulnerable and um, be in team with other people who feel like they have their back enough that they can share something that, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's tough to share. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I want to, if you're open, I want to dig into that one a little bit because you, you are so good at what you do and it, it, it's truly a, a joy and honor to work with you and you do bring excellence. And I'm wondering from your perspective, it's kind of like the what's made possible, but the opposite side, like what happened because of you for you, for the team, yeah. You know, like what was made possible, but in the not so helpful side, I guess. Right. Why was that particular share for you a displaying of fallibility? Mm. Because like what were the things that were actually underneath the surface um, that that actually created a space, you know, that hurt or that brought not what you wanted? Yeah. What was underneath that? I mean, I think there's two things. One, you know, is that, uh, and this has been true for me across workplaces, right? Is like, I, ju- I work a lot and hard and fast and it, it creates burnout, right? I almost create my own conditions of burnout because I'm working so hard and so fast um, that it's one, it's yeah. tough for me. And then two, it can be tough for folks around me to keep to keep up or to do, you know, as much, um, which isn't necessarily the case at Thrive, but it's been the case at other places, right? It almost creates an unattainable standard for others that then have to perform to a bar that they haven't set themselves, you know? Um, Mm. If I've set my Mm. own bar, one thing, right? Still maybe not helpful, but I set it, you know? If I'm setting a bar for somebody else, different story, right? So I think Mm -hmm. it's it's created those conditions where Mm -hmm. it's just too much. And ultimately I get to a place where I'm like, it's too much, you know? And it's, uh, Mm -hmm. so certainly creating the conditions of burnout is one piece. And then two, I think just more philosophically, and this is, you know, clearly what we're working to help others learn. I, I just like, I'm not sure. Ultimately, you do a lot of work up front, right? And give it over to people, maybe for less feedback. 
But like, what if using the analogy of the skateboard, you did less work and got more feedback and then just improved it? You know, ultimately, mm -hmm. I think the second also then provides the opportunity for more voice, which as we know, then makes people more bought into the product, right? So like, there's a real, you're maybe wasting time and energy, but you're also wasting like that currency of buy-in mm. in some ways, you know? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, that's really good. That so that's currency of buy-in. I know we've talked about this. Yeah, of like a simple way of approach is you could either do strategy and then buy in afterwards, or you can do buy in before right. and then that leads to the better strategy. And it sounds like what was happening with this particular fear that drove has driven you at, at times is stolen from co-creation in a sense, right? Yeah. It's like, and it's interesting, you know, it's interesting, you know, we have these five core values, co-creation, um, excellence, sustainability, um, empathy and, uh, playfulness. Um, and, and it's so interesting cause I'm seeing tensions between values. Yeah, you know, it's interesting so to true. see that yeah. like when excellence has now gone beyond and has actually taken away from co-creation yeah. and sustainability for you personally. Yeah. It's like, how do these values stay in balance with one another? And while you, I mean, you definitely hold that one of the, that value of excellence so well in our organization, part of your share yesterday, which was, and it felt vulnerable. And I really honor you and appreciate you for sharing that with our team and, and with me is, is you are honoring the values that we have mm. yeah. by, by displaying your own fallibility of saying, I've kind of leaned a little out of balance into this yeah. one at the expense of the other ones in a sense. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think, I mean, part mm. of what we were talking about when we were prepping for this podcast was the like, and I think this is part of my challenge is how do you lean into um, this idea of fallibility and skateboard in contexts where that's not valued. Right. And so like within our organization at Thrive, those are our values. And so we can we know what's important for ourselves. Right. And, and we hold those and we can hold each other accountable. But oftentimes we're going into organizations that are top down, that are performance, not learning based, that have cultures of censure. Regularly. And like what? And this is where I struggle. Right. It's not hard to live our values inside of our own walls. It's hard to live them when you're going into somebody else's house that doesn't hold them. And that's the tough mm -hmm. part, I think. <clears throat> yeah. Well, that's where I'm curious. If you're a nonprofit leader and you are sitting in a situation, uh, and by leader, I mean anybody in the organization. So whether you're a ED or a director or a VP or, or entry level or whatever you might be, you're a leader. Uh, that's part of our philosophy is around leadership. And, and if you're in a space where it does feel performative in a negative way, right. In a, you know, there is censure if you, that you don't feel the safety to share when you've made mistakes. Um, what do you do about that? <laughs> and now part of it's hard to determine, like, how do you know if that fear is just you? And how do you know if that fear is because you, it actually is an external force right. on you? Um, you know, and I think that's just an important thing to reflect on. Because I think even you, Sarah, right? Like 
we don't have, I, I believe we do have a culture of learning that we're continuing to learn how to have. And even then it was tough for you to like bring, cause that's tough, right? Cause this is tough to display our fallibility, even if we're in a culture that welcomes that. For sure. Um, so anyway, just a, a reflection on, you know, how much of it is you uh, yeah. or as an individual and how much of it is, is the organization. Mm. But if you are in an organization that, you know, has core values that they don't live into or feels like uh, to go back to Peter Senge, they use they use data and reporting as a way of controlling you and motivating you through fear versus, yeah. you know, letting your own internal motivation around learning to drive. Um, how do you display your and own your fallibility or do you even like, is that even a thing yeah. that you should do? I think it's such a great think, question. Um, and actually, I think, you know, Tucker, I've definitely learned from you here. I'm thinking back to um, a meeting we had recently between a, a, a board was there and a CEO and staff, and there's some, some tension there. Um, and there was a question from a board member. Um, and I immediately wanted to have an answer. And I think you said, that's a great question. Let's put it up on our board here and we'll answer it in our process. And so I think there's two things there. One is that creating a process that invites questions, right? But not questions that individuals necessarily have to have the answer to in the minute, like we're on the hot seat, but creating spaces of mm -hmm. questions. Um, that allow for more than one voice to provide an answer and then saying hmm. that's a good question and stopping there <laughs> that's a good question we're gonna go hmm. we're gonna go and invite the voices to answer it and we'll get back to you thank you for that question and actually really honoring the question i think some people i can feel inauthentic sometimes you know, we're like, oh, thanks for the question. Mm -hmm. But actually, it's like, you know what? Thanks for that question, right? But that is, you know, displaying mm -hmm. fallibility and being open to learning, right? That's being open to saying, you know what? Like, that is a good question. Maybe we should figure that out instead of feeling like, I don't know the answer, you know? Mm. Yeah, and I think wasn't the question something like, why hasn't this been done yet? Or, I mean, it was a it was it a pointed was a question, tough right? question, yeah. <laughs> It was pointed. You're like, there is something behind that question for sure. Yeah. And it yeah, was even not then very it was generous. Still, yeah. yeah. But. <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah. But if we treat all questions as questions and allow them space, like instead of it becoming a cycle of, of reactivity, it be, can become a cycle of creativity where we honestly explore that answer. Ooh, that's good and like the intention was for it to be generative yeah yeah it's like you're even though you might feel like it that there is not generous intent it may actually let's let's give people the benefit of the doubt so part of that is give benefit of the doubt yeah the other part of that is give pause, give space between questions and answers. You don't have to answer right now. You can say, you know what, that's a great question. And if you are feeling like you don't have an answer, and frankly, even if you do are feeling like you do have an answer, it may still be valuable to still pause, right? Yes. <laughs> and, yes. and, and create, create space in between 
you know, the stimulus and your own response to it. Victor Frankl there, right? Yeah. Good old Victor Frankl. Exactly. Yes. You caught it. Um, the other thing too, is I'm noticing is when you do know you're wrong or yeah. it, it may be wrong too hard. When you do know you made a mistake or, or it, whatever mistake means, right. Or you, you do know that, you know, like, uh, I've shared this recently. Um, you know, I've realized one of the things that we're really growing in and learning in right now in Thrive is our culture of revenue. And I realized a couple months ago that I was, and, and I and I know this cognitively, but I didn't realize it until I had done the learning deeper in my own body, literally, yeah. of how much um, I, I had been creating a culture of isolation around revenue. Mm. I had isolated myself and, and I had, uh, and a lot of it for me was also based in fear. It was based in what I actually started realizing is that if I don't, I have to figure this out. And if I don't figure this out, then people are going to leave. I mean, right. I realized it was like this deep seated fear of loneliness that yeah. I actually had, yeah. which of course then even based in my, I had this fear. And then what was then happening from that was I was creating conditions of loneliness that were then feeding into the fear. And yeah. it was this like terrible downward spiral. Yeah. Um, and so in those moments where you've noticed that you've contributed to, you know, perhaps the negative of a situation or you didn't handle a situation well, and you're in a culture that does that or that has, can be a little more punitive. What do you do there? Right. And <laughs> Great what do you do? <laughs> yeah, what do you do? Uh, you know, I mean, honestly, the first thing that came to my mind is the importance of having, you know, a mentor or community that can help you process if there's nobody inside of the organization that you feel like kind of has your back. I, I think it's just you've got to have somebody or multiple people who have your back who you can process with, like our Thrivers community. You know, um, I think yeah, the second, yeah. you know, before you get into the space is oftentimes people are in the space and you see this in the research from the leadership circle assessment that self-awareness is one of the most overrated leadership competencies by leaders in the bottom 10 percent. So some of the leaders who have the most room mm. for growth are over assessing themselves most frequently in terms of self-awareness. They think they're more self-aware than they are. And so. I think one of the big things is that leaders are getting into situations because they're challenged with their own self-awareness. And so one of the things I think is super valuable is having that reflective mirror back to you, both through assessments, but also ideally through community and support. People who can say to you, you know what? Yeah. I got to show this to you. I'm not sure you see it in a safe place where mm -hmm. people can process and learn. I love what you're talking about, like having community around you, having a safe space. I mean, I even think about, you know, people like uh, Amy Alanis and, and Lisa Sims Booth, who have been a part of our Thriver community for a while. And I remember um, uh, both of them, in fact, others have shared this too, that having a space to practice your voice, mm -hmm. she said, or both of them have said it has helped really generate and build, build up confidence. 
to be able to live into my own values, mm. um, which is really powerful. So I, I really want to appreciate what you're sharing there around the power of having community and a, a, an actual safe space. If you don't have a safe space uh, to be able to process through some of this and build up your own, you know, confidence and, and clarity and things like that. Um, and I was also thinking too, you know, you're in that space, right? You maybe, I mean, I feel like this happens to me with my kids all the time too, but you realize like, I shouldn't have acted that way. Yeah. Right. Or I contributed to this situation and how do you do that? You know, how do you do that? which I think is one of the hardest ones, mm. you know, and it's yeah. helpful to do the proactivity to love that idea. It's helpful to have that community. And at the end of the day too, you, sometimes you're wrong. Yeah. And it's okay that you were wrong and it's okay for us to share when we were the contribution to that wrong. For sure. And without a, but right. Like this is one of the things I try to teach my kids and I'm trying to learn into it. Cause there are some times where I just don't do it. Um, you know, where I'm like, yeah, I was wrong, but if you would just, right. you know, yeah, is that old, uh, that quote that, you know, we were talking about earlier of if I'm not the problem, there is no solution, which like makes me squirm even thinking about it. But it's this like deep form of extreme ownership yeah. that can many times feel tough to share, mm. but can also disarm a situation because when we're in cycles of reactivity with each other in performative oriented cultures like that, that are negative and toxic, it's, it's all, it's all a bunch of reactivity, like, yeah. and trying to one up each other yes. or it's, or, you know, I was in a dog eat dog kind of culture in a nonprofit before, uh, because the culture was this like hyper competitiveness, which was not healthy. Yeah. Um, and it was this performative oriented culture and, but it's, it's, you know, we're always on the defense and, and, or the attack, right? It's like, we're either attacking or defending or both. These, these are cycles of reactivity. And how do we disarm that situation by pulling back and sharing? You know, I don't like how I handled myself in that situation and I'm sorry. It's so hard to do that in a culture that is punitive. But I mean, ultimately it has to start with somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody's <laughs> so got to break the cycle of reactivity, someone right? Someone has to break it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, about a nonprofit experience I had had where it's almost like if it's a punitive culture, then you try to catch each other making mistakes, right? Really? Yes. That's what you try to do. Because then if you've made a mistake, it's not so bad if I did and your fears was bigger, right? Like ultimately who's done worse is the, is the question we're asking. Totally. Right. And so it's, um, it's really easy to get into that cycle and, um, unless somebody's willing to stop it, I just don't know. I don't know how it does stop. Um, yeah. and ultimately, I mean, at one recent job I've had, you know, I really left because I felt, I felt super alone, um, at like, I didn't have any support, you know, from the leadership of the organization. And they were asking me to go out and do big things kind of be on the cliff of responsibility without in a punitive fear-based culture without anyone there with me. And I was like, you know what? Like, why would I do this? Right? Like Truth. this is not worth it. Um, Truth. 
I'll stand on that cliff if you're with me and if there's a reason, but I'm not going to do it by myself and for no reason. Like, just know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, I feel like we've really gone deep into this displaying and owning my fallibility and our fallibility. And I think this is one that we, that takes practice. And I, and I don't think we can underestimate the power of it. Mm. I don't think we can underestimate, I mean, I, sorry, I don't think we can overestimate the power. We typically underestimate the power of it mainly because we're afraid. I know I'm afraid. I'm afraid in doing that. Yeah. And yet I know that when I've leaned into that, it's been better for me and ultimately the team too. And sharing what I'm learning from that and where it is that I want to grow and, and learn from. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, I think, I think this is part of the work we're starting to explore that's at our center, but like, um, it's what, it's hard to do that in workplaces that don't value it. And, um, you know, that part of why I'm here at Thrive is because I saw you were trying to create something different. Right. And I think now we have the opportunity to create lots of something different and that change is going to take time. But ultimately, yeah. like, why would we want to work, spend most of our lives and our days and our hours in places where we feel attacked and um, that we don't belong? Uh, I, I don't think we do. I don't think we do. So the stakes couldn't be higher, ultimately, yeah. for yep. this work. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you all for listening into this podcast. You know, again, if you want to listen into the all six of the behaviors that reinforce learning, check out the last podcast around the role of dissent. We actually talk about each one and then we go deeper into another one of the specific ones. Uh, Sarah mentioned the skateboard multiple times. We actually have a podcast on that. It's a it's really around an approach to learning and creating V1s, V2s, V3s instead of trying to be perfect is actually learn by doing first. Um, so there's a podcast on that about skateboards uh, earlier on as well. If you want to check that one out, we can also put those in the show notes so that you have easy access to those links. Um, but otherwise, just encourage you all out there. Breathe deeply. Use breath work and mindfulness practices to be able to go into spaces whenever you know that. I mean, just do this in general, but especially when you're in this space where you feel what we've talked about and even feel talking about it. Like, whew, breathe deeply. Yeah, do that because it'll help you to go into that space of being able to own your own fallibility. And it's okay that you're not perfect. Um, and I encourage you all to take those courageous steps to do that and then also find the right place for you to be as a, as a leader out in the world. Any last words, Sarah? I think you captured it. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you on the next Thrivers Nonprofit Leadership for the Next Normal. Bye, everyone.